You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, so good. So good to be together in church today, to see you, to hear you singing, and of course, especially to see uh, these two people baptized, such encouraging, powerful testimonies of God's grace in their life, and uh, we're just, just so, so blessed by that. So uh, I just, just already just feel like I've been to church already. This has been a, just a great morning of, of uh, worshiping the Lord and seeking Him together. I just want to double down on something that Brian mentioned uh, uh, in the announcements um, for the All Churches Prayer Meeting, the GCC, the Great Commission Collective, the network that we are privileged to be part of, this church, this family of churches uh, for this All Churches Prayer Night. First time we've been able to do this in a a while. And uh, I'm not sure there may still be some spaces available in in Oakville if you want to go to Oakville for the sort of for the, the the main setting, but we're also live streaming it here. So I just want to encourage you to, to do that. Remember, please do sign up for it uh, so that we, we know the, the, how many are coming. We can count on you being there. And uh, that can all be done uh, online. And if you have any questions at all, just contact the church office. We'd be glad to help you out. I also wanted to uh, bring you up to date uh, for some time now. We've been praying for a, a pastor of worship. And uh, I do have some good news for you in that there is, we are progressing. We're making uh, there is a significant step forward uh, made this week where we believe that the Lord has indeed supplied for us. And uh, we are grateful for that, hugely grateful. I can't tell you who he is right at the moment. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to tell you that a week from now. We're just ironing some things out, some details to work through. And of course, he is also in a ministry setting, and we, uh, we, want, to, uh, we want to be sensitive to that as he is uh, going to endeavor to finish well there and, and transition in a Christ-exalting way. And so uh, as I can't tell you who he is yet, but I can tell you that we believe the Lord has supplied. So uh, praise God for that. What a, a huge provision. We're excited about this. And um, I think you're going to be real happy. Okay. I think I am. I'm happy. I just got here. So I, I think you all, if you've been praying for this long and I have, uh, you should be really, really grateful to the Lord for supplying for us in this season. Well, I talked about the baptisms here that we just saw a moment ago, and uh, I just wonder if, if it's landed on you, how astonishing it is what we've witnessed today. It's an astonishing thing to see somebody baptized because it's, it's, a, it's a depiction, it's an outward demonstration of a radical, supernatural transformation that God has worked inside human hearts. So on that note, it's, it's really stunning. I said to you a few weeks ago, if you were here, you might remember me saying this, that this baptismal tank is both a grave and a birthing suite. It's a grave and a birthing suite. To go under the water, that symbolizes the fact that we have been crucified with Christ. The Bible says we are buried with him in baptism. It's, it's symbolic of the fact that when, when Christ Jesus comes into your life, the old you is dead. It's like, I, I'm, it's, it's no longer me. In fact, Paul says at Galatians 2, it's no longer I. The, the, the old me that was, that went my own way, that did my own thing, that person is dead. And so it's a grave, it's a burial. I'm buried with him. And then, of course, also, I don't stay there. I'm raised up out of the water. And that represents that, that symbolic of this newness of life 
that we have now in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. This is, this is not just a religious ceremony. Rather, it's commanded by Christ as a, as a symbol of our salvation. It's an outward demonstration of a radical transformation that God has worked in. And that's what salvation is. It's a radical transformation. It's so radical that Jesus calls it being born again. You've heard that phrase, right? That statement, being born again. You're still you, but you are new forever. And baptism depicts that. It's when you believe on Jesus, everything changes. And that baptism depicts that change, that transformation. When you believe on Jesus, everything changes. And the way you see life changes. I think one of the ways that this salvation, this transformation is most evident is in the change of perspective that a Christian undergoes. When you're baptized, in a moment, it's depicted in a way that Christ has has appointed for us. But in your lifetime, as you live, this transformation that you have undergone, this sanctification you're undergoing, is especially evident in the Christian's perspective. In their perspective on life and on death. Your outlook, when you're a believer, your outlook, the way you regard life, your attitude toward it is totally changed. And your outlook and attitude toward death has totally changed too. You've got a, a brand new perspective. The Christian sees death and life really differently from the rest of the world. And our text today, I think, really powerfully but also concisely shows us what this perspective is. It shows us this Christian perspective. And I, I think it's really important for everybody to hear this. If you are, because if, if you are not yet a Christian, maybe you're here today exploring Christianity, you're considering the claims of Christ, but you haven't yet taken that step of repenting and believing on him. I think it's important for you to see that being a Christian does result in radical change. It, it is something that is profoundly life-altering because it comes from God and how you see life and how you see death will be totally different. But it's especially important for Christians because we need to be sure that we actually have a Christian perspective on life and death. What, what I find happens, my observation is that life happens, and in the midst of all the troubles that life brings and the pressures and the problems we encounter, we sometimes lose our bearings, and our perspective becomes kind of skewed, and we We don't see things as clearly as we once did or as we we should. And sometimes our perspective needs to be adjusted. It needs an adjustment from the scriptures. And I think that's what our text does today. Let me just ask you this. Dear Christian, do you have a Christian's perspective on life and death? Do you have that? That begs a really good question. What is the Christian perspective on life and death? Show me what it is, and then I'll tell you if I have it or not. Well, let's look and see. I'm not going to make it up for you. Let's look in the Bible and see it. In Philippians chapter 1, our text today, Philippians 1, verses 21 to 26, is going to show us the Christian's perspective on life and death. Now, we are working our way through this book called Philippians. It was a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And uh, in the context here, the immediate context, Paul has just been telling the Philippian believers about what his great passion in life, 
and his passion in life, he said, is to honor Christ in his body. In fact, that's what he says in verse 20. If you look at Philippians 1 and 20, he says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, my mission is to honor Jesus, to glorify Jesus. As long as I'm living here in the flesh, then I want my hands, my feet, my mouth, my mind, I want all of me to be a tool for honoring Jesus, for bringing him glory, to live to show his all-surpassing worth. Now he's going to explain in verse 21 why this is his passion. And it has everything to do with our Christian perspective. So notice what he says in verse 21. So after talking about wanting to honor the Lord in his body, whether by life or by death, verse 21, verse 21 he says, for, so to explain this, for to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, at the risk of getting too far ahead of myself, this is the Christian perspective on life and death. To live, in fact, in the original, in the Greek, it goes like this. It goes, you could render it literally. To live, Christ. To die, gain. It's very punchy, very specific. To live, Christ. To die, Gain. Then he expands further, verse 21. For, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, there's, not, there's no for there, I just said that for no apparent reason. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. In other words, I, I don't know which to prefer. What, what do I pray for? Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, as I see it, this text has three parts to it. There's the Christian's declaration, then the Christian's dilemma, and then thirdly, the Christian's delight. So declaration, dilemma, delight. First, every Christian's declaration is this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's every Christian's declaration, or it's every follower of Jesus. For every follower of Jesus, it's our confession of our purpose, and it's our confession of our hope. Our purpose and hope is summarized in those words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Our purpose, our purpose is living for Jesus. You know, this is one of the fundamental questions that everybody has. And even if they don't verbalize it, everybody wonders it in their heart of hearts. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my life for? What's my purpose here? Well, as a Christian, that's made patently clear for us. We're not left wondering or guessing. We're told plainly, our purpose is Christ. He's, he's my reason for living. He's my why. 
He's my reason. He's my motivation. Christ is my inspiration. Christ is my ambition. Christ is my goal. Christ is my purpose. It's him. I live for Jesus. And in this context, Paul points to uh, the work that he does for Jesus, this fruitful labor, as he calls it in verse 22. He says, for to me to live is Christ. And then in verse 22, he picks up this notion of living and unpacks it more. What does this living entail? He says, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, in this body here, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So, so fruitful labor means, it means bearing fruit, yielding, yielding righteousness. What he says earlier in verse, verse 11, in fact, if you look back at verse 11, he uses similar language, says they're filled with the fruit of of righteousness. Remember, we, I preached on this, maybe it feels like a year ago now, probably, but, but a few weeks ago, we talked about being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from where? It comes through Jesus. So get, get Paul's vision here of what it means to live as Christ. So he's, he's at the center, he's everything, and practically, in my living, it means I'm bearing fruit, fruit that's produced, ultimately, it finds its source in him. So as I'm living my life and serving him and sharing the gospel and planting churches and following Jesus, the things that I'm doing don't originate with me, but they originate with Jesus. So my life is bearing fruit for him. The works that I do, the, the, the places I go, the people I interact with, it's all part of this bearing fruit for Jesus. There's a life that I'm called to that's marked by righteousness, that's marked by holiness, that bears fruit. You got a purposeful life, dear Christian. You got, you got a reason to get your rear end up out of bed in the morning. And it's Jesus. To live as Christ, my life is for him. He, his purposes, his pleasure, that's what I'm about. Our purpose, also our hope. Talks about gain there. You notice that in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Gain means profit, advantage. I get something. Now, Paul, in his particular context, was facing a somewhat uncertain future. We can see, though, that he very much anticipated being set free. I, I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but he does seem to, he recognizes that it seems to him that God has more for him to do, even though at the same time, it's not a foregone conclusion that he won't die. Of course, he's imprisoned here, and if you know the, the story, the background here, Paul has been arrested because of his testimony for Christ. He's in prison. He's facing trial. And it is possible that the outcome of that trial could mean his death. But he is fairly convinced that God is going to be merciful to him in this circumstance and set him free. But you see a couple different places in, in Philippians where Paul's like, but it, it may not be, it may not work out that way. Back in verse 20, he talked about honoring Christ, whether by life or by death. We'll see later in chapter 2 and verse 17, he talked about be, the prospects of being poured out as a drink offering. I think talking about possibly giving his life in service for Christ, which we know ultimately he did. But what Paul testifies to here is this Christian perspective, this declaration of every Christian that my living is, is for Christ, but being in Christ, my dying is gain. It's gain because I gain him sweeter fellowship with him, being present with him. It's, it's contrary to what we, we might expect when somebody talks about death. 
it's very rarely a positive thing. I mean, who, who talks about dying as gain? Christians do. Christians do. Because it's our perspective on death. Our perspective on life is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our perspective on death is gain. I get more of Jesus. That's different. That's very different. Very different from the person on your hockey team. Very different from your coworker. Unless, of course, they're Christians. It's very different. This is our declaration, loved ones. This, it's our confession. It's what we can say. It's our purpose. It's our hope. Every Christian's declaration to live is Christ. To die is gain. Second, every Christian's dilemma. Serving Christ or being with Christ. It's a dilemma. Notice how he puts it middle of verse 22. Talks about fruitful labor in his life for Christ. Yet, which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I don't think Paul is in a situation here where he thinks that practically speaking the choice is his. In fact, I think quite clearly the choice as it is is out of his hands. It's in God's hands, ultimately. But I think by choice he means which, which should I choose to prefer? What should I choose to pray for? What should, I, what should I desire most? So I'm torn. I mean, on one hand, my life in the flesh means fruitful labor. Yet, which I should choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm torn. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That word depart there, it's a, uh, in the ancient, in antiquity, is a nautical term to do with like when a, a ship is loose from its moorings. It departs from the harbor. Paul's like, you want to ask me what I really like? Right? You want to give me three wishes, two of them don't count? Okay. Be with Jesus, be with Jesus, be with Jesus. That's, that's what I want. I, I, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is, notice, far better. Far better. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. It's striking to me that this is a dilemma for Paul. I don't know if you've had any dilemmas this week. For some of us, maybe the biggest dilemma you had was chocolate or vanilla. For me, there's no dilemma. It's vanilla every time, all day. No exceptions. Not a big chocolate guy. For some of you, you think that is the weirdest thing you've ever heard. For some of us, though, we've got bigger dilemmas in life, right? Choices to make. Impossible decisions, it seems, to make. That's sort of where Paul is at as he thinks through this dilemma of which is preferable. To live for Christ here, and bury, which is fruitful labor, or to be with him. It's like, well, okay, to be with him is far better. That's what I prefer. But what should I pray for? What would be best? What does the Lord want? This is where the dilemma is. Loved ones, as we grow in Christ, I think that you and I will find that these two desires will ever increase. Because to live in the flesh means serving Jesus and making him known. And that is thrilling. Thrilling to serve Jesus. To see him at work. To see two people baptized. Four people last service. See six people baptized today. It's thrilling. Jesus being known. And, and every believer, your heart just sings for joy as you watch him at work. It's an awesome thing. It's a wonderful thing. And yet... To be with Jesus. Well, that's, that's our hope. That's, that's our goal. That's where we're going. And when you're in times of trouble, like Paul was, and we'll see, like the Philippians were, we'll see next week, where the Philippians were in serious trouble themselves. 
your sense of this dilemma rises because the Lord calls you to live a life of purpose for him. And yet you also know that home is coming and when I get there, oh, oh, that will be glory for me. Like we used to sing in church. Every Christian's declaration to live is Christ, to die is gain. Every Christian's dilemma that rises with the tides of trouble, serving Christ or being with Christ. Now, wonderfully, you and I don't have to choose that. But it's a glorious, beautiful tension in which we live that will go from serving Christ and bearing fruit to being with Christ. Like that. (laughs) It's just awesome. I don't want to be anything other than a Jesus follower. Every Christian's declaration to live as Christ, to die as gain. Every Christian's dilemma, serving Christ or being with Christ. The third part of this passage is every Christian's delight. Did I say delight already? Have I been saying delight instead of dilemma? I don't know. You're all looking at me like, no, I have been, haven't I? Have I been saying delight? Okay, sorry. Sometimes that happens to me. Then I'm just like, wait, did I? I'm already saying that. Okay, thank you for your affirmation. Every Christian's delight. What's every Christian's delight? It's the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. Look at the passage, verses 25 and 26. So he's talking about his life in the flesh, fruitful labor. Being with Jesus, far better. But, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, he says, verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, notice, your progress and joy in the faith. Now, that's part of Paul's fruitful labor. What is it, what's it going to look like to bear fruit for Jesus? Well, one way is going to be edifying other believers and seeing them grow in their knowledge of Jesus, seeing them grow in their confidence of Jesus and their competency as servants of Jesus and in their joy of Jesus, their worship. To see your progress and joy in the faith. So I convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, here comes verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to notice to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now I don't think Paul means here that, uh, that they're, they're going to, uh, it's just a matter of, of him you know, be glorying in Paul at having come. Like, wow, look, look what happened to Paul. But rather seeing here, seeing here what Christ has done for him, that, that should Paul be released, they'll be rejoicing that, Paul, that first of all, Jesus, the Lord answered our prayers. God heard our prayers and answered. But also they will glory more in Jesus as they are edified, as they grow in the faith. So as Paul or, or, or other pastors or church leaders are ministering God's word, the people progress in the faith and grow in joy in the faith. And the result of that is glorying in Christ so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Striking to me that Paul's really real ambition here is not just to get out of jail, but that Christ to be glorified, that Christ to be magnified. It's, it's his his delight, he, he, the, the song of his heart, it's like the contemporary song goes, oh Christ, be magnified, let his praise arise, Christ be magnified, oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. You see, Paul's delight is, is in the worship of Jesus. What he lived for was for people to believe on Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus. He wanted to see Christ glorified, the fame of Christ. Let me ask you, loved one, what is, what is delight, the, the delight of your soul? 
What thrills you? Where's your joy? What's your great ambition? What's your burning passion in life? I wonder if some of us this morning maybe need to seek the Lord to refresh our delight in Him, to renew our passion for His glory and His fame. That starts with, by the way, that starts with confession. We begin that. If, if you perceive today that my delight in the glory of Jesus is not what it should be. Maybe if you perceive it's not where it was. You begin with confession to acknowledge that that's the case. Say, Lord, my affections are not where they should be. Maybe it even grieves you today. You're thinking about this. You're like, you know, what am I delighting in? I'm delighting in X, Y, and Z in my life, but am I delighting in Christ? Is, is what thrills me Jesus being known and loved? When you perceive that there's a gap from where your affections should be, from where they are, first place to start is confession. Lord, that is, that's just not where my heart is at. It isn't where it should be. That confession can even involve lamentation, lamenting the fact, Lord, what's happened? What's happened to me? I've drifted, Lord. There was a time when it thrilled me to see people baptized. It was my joy to see people saved. And now it's like, well, not that I'm indifferent to it, but it's not what it was. We need to confess today, perhaps some of us, that, Lord, I need to return to my first love. It's you. It starts with confession leads to repentance. So I'm going to turn away from going down this road that I'm on to back to Jesus. And, and, and in, in being the fruit of that repentance is going to be seeking the Lord. Lord, refresh my heart. There's calluses on my heart today. Lord, Lord, Lord work, work them away. Soften my heart toward you. Renew my affections for you that my delight would be just like Paul's delight, the glory of Christ. Lord, refresh that in me. Acknowledge your need of him. Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. I can't change how I feel. But you can, and, and I, know that, I know that you can do it, and I'm seeking you for it. That, that's what we do, loved ones. Because every Christian's delight is the glory of Christ. He's our joy. He's our pleasure. So to review, we've got the declaration, every Christian's declaration. To live, it's Christ. To die, gain. Every Christian's declaration. Is that your declaration? Every Christian's dilemma Serving Christ versus being with Christ. Wonderfully, we don't have to choose, but our, our, our delight in that will increase as we grow in him. Thirdly, thirdly, every Christian's delight is the glory of Christ. The fame of his name, the, the worship of him, him being honored, him being glorified. Now, as I reflect on these things together, I realize this, this gives to us a Christian's perspective on life and death. I'm going to summarize it for you in two statements. I'll unpack each of those statements and then we'll be done. Okay? So a Christian perspective on life is this. That it's all about Jesus. And a Christian's perspective on death is this. It's all about gain. Our perspective on life is that it's all about Jesus. Our perspective on death is that it's all about gain. Let me start with the first one, okay? 
the Christian's perspective, a true believer's perspective on life is that my life is all about Jesus, all about him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And what that looks like, you follow me around for a week, you'll see it means fruitful labor for him that results in the worship of him, him being glorified. The Christian perspective on life is that it's all about Jesus. Loved ones, what this means for you and me, what this means for us, is that Jesus must be first. Jesus must be first in your life. He is Lord. He is the King of all kings. He cannot and he will not take second place. He is Lord of all. You know what he said one time? He said, he asked this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, the issue is, is that if he is Lord of your life, he must be Lord of your life, like in charge. He must be first in authority over your life. The reality is that for some of us, if, if, your, life is, if your life is like a house, for some of us, we've got rooms in our house that's closed off to Jesus. Sort of like this. I was uh, recently in an airport, and uh, I got off, a, got off a plane, and um, I don't really know how to put this delicately. I had to use the washroom. Okay, I got off the plane, needed to use the washroom, and so just like lots of other people get off the plane, you're just looking for that sign that says, this is the way, right here. And so I, I see one, I'm like, perfect, it's not far, because you know, these airport terminals are so long, and you walk forever on them. And, and there wasn't those neat little belts, you know, those, those rubber belts that you can, you know, it goes faster. It's super annoying when people just stand on those belts. No, walk on it, it's for walking, getting your fat. Anyway, I just got that off my chest. Anyway, I see this bathroom sign. I'm like, perfect, it's right there. And so I, you know, just uh, moseying on over toward it. And when I get there, there's this yellow tape across the doorway and a sign that says clothes for cleaning. No, no, that's not what I want. So I look and I use my, my spidey sense eyes to look down the hallway there and to see, oh, I see another sign. Hark, another sign yonder. And so I mosey on down, no belt either to walk on. So I mosey on down there, down the hall, down this long, long terminal to get to the washroom. And I get there, and there's another yellow tape thing across it. Clothes for cleaning. Now this is starting to get a little more serious. Because I'm looking, and there's got to be another one down there. But this terminal goes on forever. And so I walk, like, I don't know, four football fields, it feels like. Look at, and I, finally I see another sign. And I come up for it. Now this time I'm doing, like I don't believe in finger crossing, but I am finger crossing. It's like, please be open, please be open, please be open. And I'm happy to tell you that when I got to the door, there was angels singing. And it was open. And well, I won't tell you the rest. But anyway. For some of us, when it comes to the authority of Christ, we've got rooms in our lives with yellow tape across. Jesus, do not enter. Oh, Christ be magnified, sure, in my church life, my small group, but not in my love life, not in my private life, not in my thought life, not on my device. Got that closed off. This is my area. And of course, you know what you're doing when you do that. So what you're really saying in your heart of hearts is, I can find for myself greater satisfaction and joy in me having authority over this part of my life compared to you, Jesus. That's what you're saying. And there's an area of your life, a room in your life, maybe for some of you, multiple rooms that Jesus wants in and you got yellow tape across it. 
saying, do not enter. You need to remove the yellow tape. And you need to let him in. Because he is, he is the Lord. And every Christian's declaration is to live is Christ. So he's got to have all of it. He's got to have your life. You've got to open up that door for him. And invite him in there into that space. It's his anyway. He died to save you, didn't he? He must be first in my life with all authority, with all affection, with all my ambition too. This is what Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20. And Lord, just give us ears to hear this verse. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, friends, the, the first thing that you and I got to get straight about this Christian perspective on life is that it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. My life is a gift from him, and my life's purpose is for him. I've been crucified with him. It's no longer me. It's him. So my, he must be in everything first. He must be my first and primary concern in, in any situation. It, it should be, what does Jesus want? What situation are you in today? Your first and primary concern would be, you got a decision to make. you got an action to take. What does Jesus want? My, my first and, and primary consideration in every decision that I make should be, what would please Jesus? What would honor him? What would glorify him? My first and primary contemplation in every plan that I make is, Lord, where are you leading me? My, my purpose is to carry out his work in this world, is to bear, is to have fruitful labor. This is our perspective. It's all about Jesus. Can I ask you, is this your perspective? You say, well, this sounds like something I should get around to. The Lord never says, when you get around to it, does he? I would say to you that I think a major point in my sermon today is that Jesus wants you now. Now. Drastic turning point in my life is when the Lord drove this message home for me. I was doing my own thing, living a double life, and the Lord confronted me in this powerful way, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was a clear voice. I say, Ross, are you going to follow me? Yes or no? Decide now. And I wonder if that might be something like for some of you today. To live is Christ, is it? This isn't something to contemplate tomorrow or this week. It's something to wrestle with now, today. It's serious because your life is serious. you got one shot at this life, one shot. And Jesus must be Lord of it all. It's also exciting, too. I mean, when you read about Paul talking about to live as Christ, verse 21, and then he says, verse 22, 
if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It's not like, it, right, he's, the, the sound of that, as you read that, the tone isn't, but you know, if I want to go home, but if he doesn't take me home, then it just means fruitful labor. I'll just do life and hang in there for Jesus. It doesn't sound like that at all, right? There's, there's some kind of, there's some purpose in this verse. It means fruitful labor for me and progress and joy in the faith of the saints and Jesus being worshiped. It's, it's exciting to live as Christ. Fruitful labor is a thrilling thing. To see God at work, to, 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 be, to be used of him, to be in ministry, whatever that is, is a phenomenal thing. To see people's lives touched and changed, it's, it's phenomenal. It's exciting. And I, I want you to get excited about your life in Christ. Are you, are you a follower of Jesus? To live as Christ, is that your declaration? Well, the Christian perspective on life is that it's all about Jesus, and that's an exciting thing. I want you to get excited about your life in Jesus. Oftentimes, we're not all that excited. We're not all that eager. And I don't mean like fluttery, flighty excitement. I mean living with a sense of anticipation that God is at work and I'm going to see him do great things. I just steal this, this illustration from Toby Mac. Toby Mac is my absolute favorite. I mean, Jesus is first, but I love Toby. Love Toby Mac. He's got this song that's called Edge of My Seat. And the idea is this. Lots of times, our attitude, our perspective on life is quite cynical, if not filled with grumbling. Like, we greet the day and be like, oh, I've got to go to work today. Oh, another day in this relationship. Oh. Or sometimes it's not so much grumbling. Sometimes it's just, I got no strength. I just, I just can't. I just, I just got to lay down. And that's understandable in a fallen world. It's understandable to just want to lay down. It's understandable to be cynical or grumbling because life is hard. But here's the thing. Our Christian perspective is that it's all about Jesus. Our declaration is that to live is Christ. Which means, loved ones, that with the help of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of the saints, we should go from being back in here saying, oh, I've got to go to church today, to living life on the edge of our seat. To say, what you got for me today, Lord? What are you going to do today? Whose life are you going to touch today? How are you going to sanctify me today? How are you going to work in this relationship today? What kind of grace are you going to show me when I show up in my class today? Lord, how are you, what, what are you going to do in my family today? How are you going to touch my kids' lives today? What are you going to do in this neighborhood, Lord? Because you got me on the edge of my seat. Because you do great things to live as Christ. And that means fruitful labor for me. I got purpose. So I'm not going to live my life sitting back here. I'm, like, I'm going to be up here on the edge of my seat watching to see. Because you got me on the edge. I am on the edge of my seat. Anyway, I'm going to do the whole song. That's, that's what it is to live as Christ. It's all about Jesus. So there's a challenge in that in terms of his authority. But there's excitement in that. You got purpose. You got the, the Holy Spirit in your life. God is at work in you and through you. Oh, Harvest Niagara, let's do life on the edge of our seat. That's our Christian perspective. 
It's all about Jesus. And in case you hadn't heard, Jesus is alive. I want you to get excited. You see what I mean? I want you to get excited about your life in Christ. That's the Christian perspective on life. What about death? Well, the Christian's perspective on death is that it's all about gain. Your life, it's all about Christ. Death, it's all about gain. <laughs> That's different. Look at what Paul says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He goes on, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is what? Far better. What's Paul's belief here about the afterlife? Well, Paul believed quite clearly that the moment you die, dear brother or sister in Jesus, the moment you die, you go from being wherever you were when you died to being with Jesus like that. And they'll take your body and they'll do whatever your wishes are if they listen to you. They'll bury you or burn you, one or the other. But you will be with Jesus. And, get this, in a coming day, get this, he's going to raise that body up out of the grave. Or up out of the urn. Or wherever it's spread, whatever you're with, he's going to raise that body up. And he's going to give you a new body that's cancer-proof age-resistant, you'll never get the flu, you'll never get COVID again. It's going to give you a body that's fit for eternity. And you will be with him forever. Now what Paul says is, we don't have to wait for that, that time to be with Jesus. The moment we die, we go to be with him. That's what he says here. He says, to depart and be with Christ, that is far better. Because dying is gain. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, he says, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So the Lord is with us, but there's a sense in which, in a coming day, we will be with him in a way that we never have before. You see? He's with us, but one day we will be with him in, in unfettered fellowship in his presence. That's why Paul goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he was consistent. What's Paul's view of things? Well, as I understand the New Testament, the Bible teaches that a moment a believer dies, they go to be with Jesus. And that's what's going to happen to you. And when that happens, you will call it gain. Which is astonishing, really. It's astonishing. I mean, you think about it. When a person dies, there is a lot of loss. You've heard the saying, you know, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. Because you can't take any of your stuff with you. Like all that stuff, somebody else will be figuring out what to do with it all. And you can't take your status with you either. Whatever, whatever achievements you've got in this world, I'm not saying they don't mean anything, but I'm just saying and when that happens, when you die, they're, they're not going with you. And the relationships you leave behind, that, that's, that's the, such a grievous thing about death, isn't it? The, the separation, it's real. And, and so when, you, when a person dies, there is, there is real loss, huge loss. But remember, Paul's ambition is that Christ would be honored to live as Christ. So here's what we see in death. In death, when you can suffer the loss of everything, 
and get Jesus and call it gain, then Christ is honored. And that's our hope. Because Jesus is our reward. He's the one who's waiting for us. He's the one who will receive us. He's the one that we'll be with. Loved ones, there is some confusion, I think, for some. There's this notion of soul sleep. I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that in here. This idea of soul sleep is like when a person dies. There's many in Christendom that would say when a person dies that they, they go in this kind of unconscious state until the resurrection. Yeah, I don't think that works for a number of reasons, not the least of which is our text here. To die is gain. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That doesn't sound like a nap to me. Sounds like you're with Jesus. Jesus himself said to the dying thief who professed faith in him, Luke 23 and 43, he said, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. When? Today you'll be with me in paradise. The martyrs described in Revelation 6, crying out to the Lord for the end to come, for the return of Jesus, for their own vindication, for resurrection. They cried out with a loud voice, Scripture says, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. <laughs> Testifies to being with the Lord while awaiting resurrection. So here's the thing, loved one. The moment you die, if you're in Christ, you'll be with Christ. And that's, that's gain. That's gain. We also don't believe in purgatory. There's a part of Christendom that believes that when people die, many believers will go to a place called purgatory for purging, for purging, further purging of sin, for holiness. We don't believe in that. It's nowhere in Scripture. And we see here Paul, just to, they talked about just being departing and being with Christ. And by the way, too, there's no further purging needed. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus. You're clean. Paul says his preference would be to go to be with Jesus. Why? Because that's gain. And I get him. For the Christian, exchanging everything to be with Christ is a win. That's how precious he is. This really hit home with me this week. My, um, my father died a couple years ago. And just for a variety of reasons, um, it took till now to get his tombstone in place. There's a gravestone in place. And so it was put in place. My sister-in-law took a picture, sent it to me this week, and uh, it's a nice little tombstone. And uh, my mom arranged for it to be put there. And it's got his name on there and her name too, because they're going to share the same one. But at the bottom, it's got two words, two words at the bottom. Gone home. Gone home. To die is game, loved ones. It's to be home, to be with Jesus. Do you count that as gain? Is that where your hope is? Notice, it's not just on being free of my problems. It's an eager anticipation of Christ to be with him. Let's review. What's the Christian perspective on life? It's all about, oh, Jesus. Do I have to start my sermon again? Okay. What's the Christian perspective on life? It's all about Jesus. And the Christian's perspective on death is it's all about so here's what I want to close today. Can we agree together, Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara, can we agree together to first of all wholeheartedly embrace with every fiber of our being 
to embrace this as our Christian perspective, this biblical perspective. That this, so help us, God, do the adjusting that needs to be done, do the fixing that needs to be done, do the teaching that needs to be done, but to give this to us as our perspective, that my life is all about Jesus, and to die is all about gain, because I'll gain him. Can we agree together that, Lord, let's that, let that please be our perspective? And can we agree together this, that, the, that we will not find this extraordinary, but ordinary among us? Here's what I mean. When I read this from Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and talking about desiring to depart and be with Christ that is far better, that lands on me as like, wow, that's extraordinary. And sometimes we meet Christians like that, right? They just, they sort of talk and sound like Paul, and we, we hear this confidence in heaven and this, this, this passion for Jesus, and we're just like, that's amazing, that's, that's, that's extraordinary. Can we agree together? That our heart's desire is that in our church that will not be extraordinary, but it will be patently ordinary because we've all got that perspective. That it wouldn't be, we wouldn't come in and say, whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa that, I mean, that, she's a Christian. But that we would come and say, we are Christians. We've got this perspective. In fact, why don't we, let's just commit this to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would help us, please, to Make, help us to make this our perspective. That to live is Christ. Oh Lord, we have to confess this morning that far too often it's to live as Christ plus stuff, status, fill in the blank. We have to confess, Lord, that for some of us today, we need to revisit this. The fact that our lives are all about you. I pray, Lord, that you would not only grant us repentance, and I pray for that because that comes from you, but you would adjust our perspective that it would be biblical. That our perspective would be that of Paul's. That we would say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And that we would find that so pervasive in our church that it would strike us as quite ordinary. This is the way it should be. And that when others come among us and see this, that they would have presented before them in what we say and in what we do a perspective that will speak to them that others would see our good works and give glory to you in heaven. We pray for this in the name of Jesus.